0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another Hawks Insiders podcast, our Round 22 player rating podcast with a twist tonight. Uh, First of all, looking at what unfolded uh, at the MCG earlier today, the Tigers 28-128 had a day out against a sad and sorry outfit, nine thirteen sixty seven. 13 67 we went down by 61 points, uh, having actually won two of the four quarters of footy. Um, and usually this, this time is spent going through every single player that participated for the Brown and Gold, but I think we're going to mix it up a little bit tonight just because Uh, I'd suggest as much as we don't want to go through all of the players and be too downbeat after what's been a great season generally, uh, we don't think you guys at home want to listen to that either. So uh, firstly, before we do get into this evening's proceedings, just want to welcome tonight's panellists, as always, one of the head honchos at the Insiders, our king of socials, Darren Levine. Welcome.
1: Hey, guys. Um, glad to be here. Uh, it was, had a bit of fun on socials today. Um, asked people what was on at the movies one point in time. Kind of kind of kept me sane through that performance, I think, in the end. So, yeah, really, really game to forget. And I think we will move on from this one pretty quick.
0: I'm sure for you as well, Daz, you were able to move move on pretty quick when once the game finished, you could switch it over onto the Bombers. That's right. The uh, Harry Harry Sheasel
1: Cup there, the uh, (laughs) the Port Bombers game. And, um, yeah, they're in full tank mode as well. So that game made it even more pointless for us, really.
0: Uh, joining us tonight, he's our Box Hill Guru, he's our List Analysis Guru, he's our Draft Guru, he wears many Guru hats and just warming up ahead of the silly season where you really come into your own, Daniel Prins, good evening.
2: Evening, Weezy. thanks for having me, mate. It's better to be here than it was to watch what the Hawks put on show this afternoon. So, yeah, let's uh, let's change it up because I don't want to give too many fail marks today. I don't like giving fail marks, so. No, and again, I think,
0: as mentioned, in the context of the season, which certainly is anything but a fail, uh, there's no need to go to town uh, on the dozen or so players we would otherwise have. So we're just going to shake it up a little bit tonight. It might be a bit of a quicker pod just to keep it up vibe and interesting. The first question that did the rounds amongst our WhatsApp group was, who got a pass mark for today. Um, And there's probably maybe half a dozen players who actually could say that they won their position or um, put absolutely everything in and came out um, looking okay. And the first of them uh, I'm going to kick off, I think, would be captain in waiting for mine, James Sicily, the topic we've discussed uh, a fair bit recently recently. Sis finished the day and uh, we'll get into where he actually played today because he found himself further up the ground through the middle, kicked a goal up forward. He had 30 touches, finished the game with nine marks, kicked that goal that I mentioned, 715 metres gained. So that in itself is a very big number for Sis. Five score involvements, five inside 50s. Again, for mine, um, of all the players out there, one you could definitely say could could uh, walk away happy with what he did, Daz. What are your thoughts on sis's performance today? Yeah, I agree. It was, a, it
1: was a decent game from Sis and didn't mind him in that role. I don't think it's, as Sammy Mitchell said, it's a pretty experimental role that he played today and just about kind of giving him another string to his bow. I think they really had to move him back um, a lot sooner than they wanted to because we were just getting absolutely killed there by Lynch and their forward line. So, yeah, it was it was good to see him further up the ground. And think he had a pretty decent
2: game in the end, um, all things considering. Lindsay, thoughts? Uh, the seven hundred and. 15 metres gained is is interesting. I wonder how much of that was really to Hawthorne's advantage. I think Sis loves a big, long, long bomb. And, uh, and you know, there was a couple of – Daz touched on the midfield move and um, a couple of things worked. You know, the commentators even touched on it. Um, you would rather him getting the ball sort of mid-ground to be able to set up an attack. Uh, as opposed to some of the haphazard kicking uh, into the Ford50 that we had throughout this week and in previous weeks. So um, if we can utilize his penchant for long kicking but long accurate kicking uh, into the Ford50, maybe that's a, a way we can uh, get a little bit better with our Ford50 entries because other than Jack Scrimshaw today, there wasn't many pe- there weren't many people that went into the Ford50 with a plan. Um, so Sicily does present that option. Um, it's a shame we don't have a number of him because uh, he can play so many different roles, and he's such a versatile player, uh, and just very good at everything he does. So um, yeah, good game by. Um, I mean, we may as well call him the skipper, right? I mean, there's not going to be there's not there's nobody else that's going to get it from him, is there? But um, very yeah, good game by by Sicily, and uh, and and I think he led led from the front, even if he did have a freer role in the majority of the game?
0: The kicking forward's really interesting because, I mean, it's difficult without having Mitch Lewis in the team, without having your second Ruckman that's resting forward in the team to go. You don't necessarily want to just bomb a long 50 or 60 metres, especially when you've got a team who've got some pretty key defensive stocks. I guess the one of the issues would be that the flip side side might be uh, pick it up, kick it around the corner just to get it thirty or forty meters, and uh, Tom Mitchell's kicking is probably the result of that at the moment and and today more than ever. Uh, there are a few turnovers straight to opposition that hurt.
2: Yeah, and I think it's a combination. It's a really good point, see, because you know you can't you can't not kick it long and or not kick it short. You have to You have to get in there somehow, right? And I just feel like uh, there was a combination of our forward structure just not being right, um, the personnel not being there with, like you said, no Mitch Lewis as our main target man, McAvoy rucking solo, so not being able to push forward as much as he would have liked to present that real big marking option that you can put it on top of the head of, Cozzy's form being down this year in com- uh, comparison to uh, last season, um, and just not... Gunners and, and Luke Bruce not being able to create a lot of separation and look the Tigers have a very good experience tall back line and it seems like we kicked it to their advantage more than we kicked it to our advantage and I think not only did they kill the ball or mark the ball well but when the ball hit the deck it was like it felt like it was two or three Tigers uh, smalls to every one Hawthorne small so it came out quicker than <laughs> than it went in and uh, and you know when you've got Look, Dan, Dan Rioli. I wasn't a massive fan of Dan Rioli as a small forward, but my goodness, his pace off halfback killed us today. Uh, and he, and he, he wasn't the only one. But um, we we didn't help ourselves because, like you said, either we bombed it to a pack of majority of Richmond players and they came out quick quicker than it came in, or or we did those little. Cheeky, chippy, rubbish kicks. Tom Mitchell absolutely destroying the momentum because we can't hit those easy targets. So it was a lose-lose situation in terms of our forward 50 delivery today.
0: Yeah, Rioli is interesting. Us Hawks fans are talking about Blake Hardwicks and John Newcombs being our Smokies for the All-Australian 40 squad that we'd like to think are chances. If I'm a Richmond supporter... I've been talking about Rioli's chances. He's having a great season. Now, Daz, while you decide um, who is the next player to get a pass mark, you just shout a name out. And I'm going to, Bruce McAvaney from 10 to 15 years ago. I think one of the most unheralded uh, segments of any AFL broadcast season seasons gone by. I'll stat you up. Yeah, well.
1: This player doesn't have a lot of stats. It's it's really about what he did to the opposition and that's Finn McInnes once again um for his negating role and one of the most exciting plays in the competition, Shy Bolton. Um just he was pretty anonymous, Bolton. I think he kicked a goal and had 13 or so touches, but McInnes was just wore him like a glove and it's it's a pretty, pretty amazing list of scalps that he's got this year.
0: Yeah, so Bolton finished the game with 13 touches and one goal, uh, five tackles as well, whereas Finn pretty much matched him with the, the 10 disposals, four tackles. He had three clearances of his own. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting that uh, Dacos for Collingwood had the Ryan Clark heavy tag and struggled to know what to do with it in the later game. Uh, after we played, Finn is really uh, just racking up scalps and and interestingly enough, like we're putting him to the player that could tear us apart every single week and another week gone, he's done the job.
1: I'm just wondering what the, the, the kind of end game is with Finn, whether this is just a year of learning from the best. Um, and I think Sam Mitchell may actually just see if he can win his own ball and and kind of play his own game next year. I think this is part of the learning process. I don't think his long-term vision for Finn is a is tagger and he's going to learn so much from playing on these guys. And it's interesting that the sort of plays that he's being matched on. And I think maybe a lot of them are wingmen. So, you know, that could be a kind of foreshadowing a future role for him.
0: So question for you, Prinzi, with regards to this. We know Kane, our mate Kane Corns is a massive fan of the tag. And, you know, for years, especially when we've played teams like Collingwood, we've appreciated Tom Mitchell not being tagged uh, and scratched our heads as to why week after week he would be allowed to do what he wants. At what point do you think um, Finn's the staple in a tagging role, whether that's actually in the guts or off, um, half forward to, to deny a half back runner from the opposition versus going, you know, in two or three years' time, no, no, forget having someone in there with that negative negating tactic. We want all of our players just to concentrate on winning their own ball because we're playing such an attacking, aggressive game of footy. How, how does that balance sit within the development over the next couple of years?
2: Yeah, it's it's a really good question, and the key word there is balance, right? Because um, I don't think it's one or the other. Uh, and I think if you have a look at some of our older midfielders in the group at the moment, they're I think it's fair to say, without um, saying anything earth-shattering, they're fairly one-way runners and uh, and one-way players. And uh, and and Mitchell and Omira don't do a lot defensively for our midfield unit and I think it's one of the reasons why we really struggle when opposition teams get a run on Um, so I think this is an education piece from Mitchell I think if you look at last year at Box Hill uh, when when Mitchell was Finn's coach there there was um, playoff halfback to learn you know how to set up from behind the play Um, this year there was play outside as a wingman. Use your endurance. Play um, as a defensive forward to negate that that runner off path back, like you said. And then there's been times where we'll play you in the middle, um, let you go to work, and then other times where we're going to get you to run with the opposition's best player to learn where to run. So um, I think we can all we all understand. And for anybody that knew. Uh, Finn coming through in his draft year he was an athlete first Um, this is the football education side of things Sam Mitchell style and I think that that's the really exciting part is Finn's learning all these different things that he was never asked to do in his junior in his junior career Um, because he was so good at just finding the footy and he was a beast of a runner he would he sort of not coasted through on that, but that got him to where, to the point of being drafted. But the AFL is a different ballgame, right? So if you don't constantly evolve your game, in the end, you end up like a bit of, like Tom Mitchell is right now, where we're looking and going, how do we fit this square peg into our round hole that the midfield uh, needs at the moment? So I think, um, and it's a long way of answering your question, see, but I think It's probably another season worth of tagging, to be honest, Um, and it's going to be different roles. I think the most impressive thing about today, and I said it in our WhatsApp group, I was worried when he lined up on, uh, on Bolton because Bolton's different to the other players that he's tagged so far this year. It's been Ed Langdon... Powerful straight line runner, um, really good endurance base. Tim Kelly, likewise. Um, you know, those types of Tuk players. Tuke Miller. Took Miller, great endurance runner, but straight line runners. Bolton is a different level athlete. He is agile, nimble. He's like a cat. You know, he ducks and weaves and um, th- threads his way through midfield traffic. That's a different player than what Tim. Finn has tagged so far this year so for him to do a job on somebody like Bolton who's just electric um, and plays through the middle off half back half forward and Finn went with him and really nullified his impact in a game where we got flogged I think is a huge feather in his cap and just shows that maybe again he has this big body shape but he he can do different things and he can go in different areas and I think I think eventually he becomes a just a a premier on-ball winning top, winning midfielder and, and breaks away from having the hard tag. But I think what this education piece teaches him is that Mitchell wants two-way runners he wants people that can do both and uh and that's why Connor Nash stays in the team that's why Joe Newcomb is our number one midfielder because those guys like the defensive stuff as much as they like the attacking stuff Dylan Moore is another one who will chase and tackle and harass all day so um it's a it's a really good you can see the evolution of what Mitchell's trying to do with our midfield unit
0: Speaking of our midfield unit, and Daz, I, I know you're going to get very, very, very excited about being given the first first option on discussing this player. John, you can get to pass Mark today. He finished the day with 29 touches, three marks, six tackles, four clearances, He also had six score involvements uh, and most importantly, he had the most pressure acts in our entire team with 25. I I feel like at the end of last year and the start of this season, Daz, it was an indictment on the rest of our midfield to be talking about the fact that John Newcomb's our best midfielder. And now I don't know that it's an indictment on everyone else. It is just that he is such an unbelievable midfielder. Yeah, and
1: I, and honestly, I thought he would have had patches where he was not as dominant. I thought there was, it was the time was going to come when he's going to have two, three bad games in a row, um, maybe go back to Box Hill to work on some things. It didn't happen, and that just shows how he's at. at you know, at the level and dominating at the at the level. So I think Sam Mitchell in the press press conference spoke about how he rarely has any bad games and his bad games are pretty okay games by anyone else's standards. So if he takes this year as a complete body of work and and takes that level of consistency into next year and then improves on it, then he's far away far and away our best mid. And that just you know, fast tracks the rebuild too because we've found a player.
0: What I don't understand, Prinzi, is, you know, we know he was picked up late. Um, so we know he came into the system late, but I, I struggle to get my head around the fact that he is still just a kid. Like he's just a kid playing. Yeah. Uh, under 20, in that under 22 bracket, like he's not in that next phase of, you know, 23 to 25 really needing to piece consistent footy together. Like he's he's a child playing the game still. So to be able to do it at the level is just, uh, I don't know what your thoughts are for me. It's actually mind-blowing.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I think um, I think the story adds to that sort of uh, mind-blowingness of of it. You know, coming from the Gippsland League, missing out on Gippsland Power selection, COVID year, coming down to Box Hill as like a train-on player, um, Mitchell loving what he saw and just said, you know, he's in the team. I don't care, you know, who who has to miss out, but this kid's playing, and then getting selected on the back of what eleven games at Box Hill. And it's just, it's just, it just doesn't look like stopping, right? It's like a runaway snowball, Jai Newcomb. and it's, uh, it's just picking up pace. And I think the exciting thing, look, we, like you said, you sort of don't realise that he's effectively the same age or slightly older than Connor McDonald and Josh Ward because of the way he goes about it, and also because he, he, he kind of looks like a man, like he hasn't, he's got that more developed body, so he, he hasn't come in with the the um, Connor McDonald or Sam Butler skinny frame and had to adjust to the physicality he just cracks in so hard um, and he's the only one of our young players that hasn't been managed at all this year and won't be and will have played every game of the, the year and that's just an incredible effort for a 20 year old midfielder who's still on the rookie list um, to be to be to be doing that sort of thing and to be in the same conversation, as Nick Dacos, um, you know, at this stage of the year, when you know, like we we keep harping on about, eighteen months ago, the kid was playing for Puwong in the Gippsland League, um, is just phenomenal, and it's it's pure unbudgeted gold. That's what it is, because you expect to bank your top thirty draft picks, and you'll hear me harping on in the next couple of months about getting four three to four picks inside the top 25 to 30 in this draft because that's where the hits are if you can get somebody like i mean nobody expects to get somebody like john newcomb in a mid-season draft you know as as a rookie like that's just that's just far and away above expectations so um it's a phenomenal outcome for the hawks and it's um it's a it's it's testament again to mitchell identifying that when he was box hill coach and they're nurturing him and 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 it's testament to John Newcomb's ability to just adapt and take on every step up in intensity and I just don't see it stopping and I wonder where his ceiling is I think there are people in the AFL industry that have sort of given him a ceiling of good phys- I don't I don't know I think he could be Clayton Oliver type player I honestly do um, I can't see what Oliver does that I don't think Newcomb could do in a couple of years there's there's nothing so and I, I dare say he's a better user by foot than Clayton Oliver too.
0: And for everyone out there, no doubt you can tell from the passion Prince he's speaking with, he actually did suggest we just run a full 45 minute hour session on John Newcomb, And I definitely would have been up for it, but, um, yeah, given some of the feedback we've had over the last few weeks, I think variety is pretty important. Uh, with what we're doing with riders. So, um, Maybe we, can do, maybe we can do an off-season special one. Yeah, we'll do a
2: special edition.
0: Yeah, He's he, he turned 21 less than two weeks ago, so he's played the season as a 20-year-old. And the other thing I love about the story is one of my favourite things, Um, actually any side winning a grand final, but particularly ours, are the individual stories that make up a grand final team that you go through Pre a grand final and post a grand final win. And, yeah, the the Newcomb into blank double as part of our next premiership, like those recruiter stories are just going to be extraordinary. So we'll move on from Jai. Prinzi, have you got another player you want to throw up that gets a pass mark from today?
2: I do, uh, and it's maybe... I don't know if it's slightly controversial, but I want to uh, give Emerson Jecker a pass mark for his efforts today. Uh, in a day where uh, Tom Lynch had his way with both James Blank and Denver Granger Barass, um, Emerson Jecker was able to keep uh, Jack Rewot goalless and got a little bit of it himself, looked pretty good with the ball in hand, and uh, and just, just did everything he could under the onslaught of inside 50 entries and very good inside 50 entries to keep his man uh, sort of out of the game. So uh, for a, for a kid in his fifth game, fourth game, um, playing in a position he's only played in for about six games in total. uh, I think that's a phenomenal effort.
0: Daz, anything you want to add to that?
1: Oh, I just, you know, I think he had three intercepts in the first quarter. He it just looks like a... He just moves beautifully um, and he's got a beautiful, beautiful kick. Um, he's going to be a fixture of the team next year, Emerson Jackar, and he's continuing on some pretty great form at Box Hill and I think they found a, a role for him. Um, sadly, that means our kind of promising forward stocks are... Um, one uh, one less person or a little bit lighter at Box Hill. But, um, yeah, it's hard to see him being unseated from that sort of half-back role that he's played so well the past few games next year.
0: Yeah, for me, I think the only disappointment was that he clearly faded. You mentioned those three contested marks in the first quarter. He finished with three marks for the game. Um, but if you took his first quarter as an example, as a body of of work, uh, he was just everywhere. And he's kind of, for me, he's like a total combination of in the air looks like sis, but then, you know, when he comes back down to the ground, he looks like Scrimmer, the way he like moves and the poise that he's got and, and the silk that he's got. Um, and so to have a big guy with those combinations, I think, I think he's already put himself in the frame as, as a staple, certainly for the first half of the season next season or, or to start with in that back line. Next up in terms of a pass mark, I'm going to give a shout out to our outgoing captain, Ben McAvoy. Um, whilst he was by no means exceptional, I think he, he halved the contest in the ruck today. He finished the day with 13 touches, 29 hit outs, kicked a goal, eight tackles, four clearances um, and uh, in terms of the stats versus Nankervis, they're near identical. Um, uh, there are a couple of different stats that go either way but um, generally speaking that contest was halved so um, his presence in the middle of the ground prinsy I, I feel like um, he's shown again um, what a big hole we've got to cover in terms of our ruck department.
2: Yeah, uh, look, Dan Curvis has been one of the form ruckmen of the competition um, over the past few years and just one of those guys that can really get on top of you and um, McAvoy more than held his own. I actually thought he was probably the better of the two ruckmen um, and you know, we lost the game by 61 points so yeah, um, but, uh, yeah, he, he is going to leave a huge hole in this team. I, I, I actually think I've come to peace with the decision. I've made peace with it. I actually think it's the right decision um, because if he's on the list next year, he has to play because he's too good not to play. And although we take a step back as a team with him not there next year and there's a huge hole that has to be filled somehow, long term, for Ned Reeves and Max Lynch or Max Ramsden or whoever that secondary ruck's going to be, they need to work out how they're going to survive and thrive without Ben McAvoy as a fallback option. So um, we'll have short-term pain for sure, because you don't replace somebody who can do so many different things like McAvoy can as a ruckman. Um, But I think it's I think it's the right decision for the betterment of our list. But in going back to McAvoy, I think this is a game. It's just a perfect example of how he's so important. He was probably one of our only leaders that stepped up and. And was very solid all throughout. Um, he didn't fade. He just kept going. He presented. He, you know, kicked. A, he kicked a goal. He had thirty odd, thirty hitouts, thirty nine hitouts, um, and just competed. He just competed. I think he also led us all, was right up the pointy end for us in terms of tackles. And for a ruckman, that's massive, you know. So, um, yeah, I, he, he's going to be. He's going to be really missed. And I thought he was. He was very good today.
0: Yeah, so finished with eight tackles, which was the most uh, for us for the day. In fact, the most for any player on the ground. Daz, it'll be interesting to find out from Ash, but I don't think the decision's been made from a list point of view. I get the feeling that he would have been given that extra contract, but it is, he's got the farm, he knows what he wants to do. He's had the injury where, you know, it's documented. He's talked about struggling to move his fingers and toes after the neck injury, and that element of being scared. It's almost like he's given everything he can to to get back, and clearly he's at peace with that decision, despite the fact that we'd all love him to go round for another year. Yeah, I agree. I think it was definitely
1: a place for him on the list. And when you think about our rough division, I mean, it's it's there's no senior players really around, around Ned Reeves and Max Lynch and Ramson's a few years off. He's been playing really well, but he's, he's not going to come into the side next year and be, be vying for a spot there over Max Lynch. So we've got to, I think, draft or, or, or sorry, move, move to trade in maybe a, a more senior Ruckman that can develop help develop the younger guys. Um and it is a big hole, but I, I yeah, I think he's just I think he's kind of he's really done. And I, I was surprised he, he went around again this year, to be honest, before the neck injury. I I just thought he didn't have much left in the tank.
0: Now sticking with you, Daz. The the two uh, I've got two more players who might be in a con- in contention for getting a pass mark, and you guys can each tell me whether you would have given them one or not in our traditional rating sense out of ten. Um, Dylan Moore, who finished the day with twenty four posies, I-, I don't think he made his way into the middle till after quarter time, and there was an element of. Um, him just being stuck in the forward line where the ball was not coming in and like why get him in the guts? But he finished the game with, with 24 touches and, and the other back to a more unassuming style role for um, Blake Hardwick where he didn't necessarily um, smash anyone in terms of a contest from, from what I saw as opposed to just you know, 20 touches, eight marks. Granted, the ball was down there a lot, but he managed to do a job getting plenty of it. Daz, either of those guys get a pass mark in your eyes or am I being kind?
1: Uh, I think definitely Dylan Moore. And, you know, it was hard for him to get in the game when he was up in a forward line that wasn't really getting any service. So um, for sure, Dylan Moore. I don't think Hardwick had his his best game but he sets an incredibly high standard. So, you know, an okay game for Hardwick is always a pass mark for me. I actually thought Harry Morrison, that might be pretty controversial, but I thought he had a pretty good second half and I think he deserves a pass mark and I think he's been pretty consistent this year, used the footy pretty well when everyone was butchering it. Um, you're all shaking your heads, but uh, I thought he was okay and he deserves a pass mark. And a pass mark reference is more than five out of ten. So I'm not saying Harry Morrison had an eight out of ten game. I don't even think he was one of our worst players out there. He was probably in our top top sort of five to ten players.
0: All right, well Prinzy, uh, let let's put Maury and Hardwick on that on the heat for the moment and, and let's just touch on this Harry Morrison comment because our next category uh which we've got to discuss and i actually had harry in this category is who underperformed but is important to the list going forward so let's start with your observation of harry's game and uh would you have put him in the pass mark category or the underperformed but important going forward category
2: if he's getting a pass mark for for today, that's a very generous pass mark. Uh, I I I thought he was I thought he was poor. Um, I, and I'll go a step further. I thought Blake Hardwick was poor. Uh, I think he got uh, he got quite a few touches late, but I think they were cheapies. Uh, I think he actually had his colours lowered. This is Hardwick by Morris Rioli, um, and Morrison did. Sort of what Morrison, what I thought Morrison had done in our early season losses, where he was just a bit, he was just a bit oblivious. To be honest, he just, uh, he he was uh, he was he wasn't really a factor at all, and um, I probably had to eat my words after coming on one of these review pods early in the year and saying that Harry Morrison was a bit of a downhill skier. He proved me wrong after that. Um, but I thought that he was pretty ordinary today. So he definitely wouldn't have got a pass mark for me, but like I wrote in my piece, um, last week about our list for shaping up ahead of 2023, he needs to be re-signed and, um, at this stage, he will be our, one of our starting wingmen um, at the start of next season, even if Amon comes in. So uh, he's had a fantastic year and uh, can be forgiven for a uh, for a ordinary or poor outing like I think he had today.
0: Yeah, and so without you know ganging up and sticking the boots into Daz's comments, uh, I think that's exactly the same for me. For me, this Harry Morrison performance was one of his last couple of years' performances, that in a win, it's like, okay, you know, he's had 15 touches. In a loss, and a loss like this, you go, what's he actually done? And he's part of the problem, not the solution. Notwithstanding the fact that I put my hand up to say, he's had a brilliant year. He gets that extra contract. He deserves a starting spot in the 22. So, for me, a game like today can be for given. Um, Daz, now that we're done, you know, taking that comment to the cleaners, I want to bring someone else to your attention. Um, and I I get the feeling that we're all going to agree on this underperformed but important little list going forward. Really, really disappointing day for me and I'm his biggest fan for Will Day, who had 14 touches, two marks, uh, and really didn't seem to get involved at all yeah it was I don't know what more to add to that it was a pretty
1: pretty ordinary day for will um just did not see much from him in terms of his development or improvement I think it's just good that he's getting a patch of footy together um, before next year and I think that's that's really all to take out of this game um he's he, he'll be better off next year I've no doubt because he's got so much potential and he's just got a great footy brain so it's been a difficult year for Will it's been a stop start year and um, obviously injury problems and going in and out of the side and um, I just I'm just happy he's putting a, a, a kind of consistent run of footy together and today is not a day to remember but just that's the silver lining for him.
0: It's like you've just written, uh, it's like he's just run a disappointing Melbourne Cup and you've just written that little paragraph that says, not his day, really disappointing, will be better for the run and hopefully next year uh, you, you get to see the fact that uh, he improves having, having gone around yeah, or
1: maybe I'm just talking myself into that, and he's actually not as good as we thought he was. I no, mean... <laughs> he's he's a, he's a
2: thoroughbred. Let me tell you, he's a thoroughbred. Yeah, I think so too. There, there was a there was a moment in the game, and it didn't work out. But he sidestepped about four tigers, and then muffed the delivery into the Ford fifty. But that that little moment where you thought, "There you go, come on," that's the sort of stuff that we were seeing in his first couple of years in 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 fits and spurts. So. Um, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's been a. Like, there's no way to sugarcoat it. It's been a disappointing year for Will, and I, I reckon if you asked him, uh, and maybe we should try and get him on and have a chat to him. If we asked him, he would probably say the same thing. He just hasn't had a clean run at it, and when he has, just kind of hasn't worked for him. But um, but there's 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 way too much talent there for it not to bounce back next year. I reckon. I think he's the kind of player that will, once he trusts his body fully,
1: we'll see the best of Will Day. Um, and he he clearly doesn't just yet. Another preseason, uh, uh, you know, just to clear on it, and I think he'll be much much better next year.
0: I think also on top of that, he just needs to start at half back next season. Like that's his spot. When we've got a full team playing, then he can play the spot that he's already played his best footy at. He doesn't necessarily have to be too accountable, even even though we know he can be. You can just tear it up off the halfback line. Um, So, yes, all on board there. Now, uh, Prinzy, Mark Robinson has added to his list of dislikes for this week. So I think fitting the category and be fitting for you to give us uh, the first comments about Denver Granger Barras, especially with Angry Brad nowhere near this pod. Uh, underperformed, important to the list going forward, the floor's yours.
2: Yeah, there's there's no way around it. Uh, he was he was pretty ordinary today, Denver. Um, I like the tactic of trying to get stuck into Tom Lynch and niggle him and annoy him and just pest him and make a nuisance of yourself, of himself. But uh when somebody kicks four on you in a quarter, um, that's that means the tactics have backfired. So um, you know, primarily as a defender, his job is to defend, and um, and and that wasn't that wasn't done. So um, he's he's had a he's had a pretty ordinary day. There was a little bit of. Uh, shades of Zach Dawson with uh, both James Blank and, uh, and Denver Granger-Barras today, the, the whole Dawson on rocker, um, just manhandling. And, and both of them, I mean, look, Tom Lynch is a very, very good key forward and and he will have days out like that, especially when the service is as good as it was today from his midfielders. Um, those guys, and we're talking about Granger-Barras here, he, they'll learn a lot from that. But a little bit like what Daz said with Will Day, until – Granger Bar- Baras has the the trust and the faith that his body can compete at AFL level. We're going to see a bit more of this, right? And um, and I think the next preseason is incredibly important for uh, for Denver because he needs to put on some strength and some muscle um, so that he can, he can wrestle with these big guys um, because right now he gets ragdolled. He can't get front position. He can't even hold position um, because the bigger key forwards just have their way with him. And um, and that must be destroying his confidence because he's not attacking the football consistently in the way that I saw him through his draft years and even in his first year at AFL level uh, we keep harping back on it, and it's disappointing that we have to but that GWS game in his first season seeing him just attack the ball at the highest point and go for his marks had um, had our friend uh, Kane Corns trading Jamari Ugal for him so um, you know like the the talent the talent is absolutely there but I, I have to agree with Robbo's take in in the in his dislikes that we're not really seeing what does he bring to the team at the moment um, he's not intercepting he's not really defending at a high level um, he doesn't really get the football uh, so so what's he doing so um, yeah another one of those guys that I think has huge upside and I think will be a massive part of the Hawthorne future Um, but one that the microscope will be on um, or the magnifying glass will be on over the course of the off season and they're going to want to have a big one.
0: Now, Daz, one for you to discuss, underperformed but important to the list going forward, the equal least number of disposals he's had a ga- in a game in 2022. I'm talking about the number 11, Connor Nash. Not quite his day today. Ten touches, two marks, three tackles, though one of them, I can tell you right now, uh, in the second quarter, we will be gifting to add to the main recap and... Uh, already putting a nice little series of gifts together for post-season. Some of his tackling this year has been outstanding. Um, not quite what we've come to expect from Nashi so far this season.
1: No, but he's had a good year and you can see how he fits into this side. Um, and when we are, he's, he's one of those players, unfortunately, when we when we're winning, he looks really good. And when we're having an off day, he seems to have an off day as well. And, and, and maybe he's a reason we're having an off day. We were really, really battered in the midfield today. I think Prestia just had an absolute day out in terms of clearances. And we just, I think, I think Nash didn't really make his presence felt as he had in, uh, throughout the year. So, yeah. A disappointing day for Nashi, but it shouldn't really overshadow what's been a pretty good year for him, um, and, and and a career defining year.
0: Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's grain of salt, right? We've got to pick a few people to talk about, and in the overall context of season, how happy we are, an individual performance in a crap game of footy where we've been thumped in round. 22 that doesn't mean anything you know these comments are not about trying to put it on you know up in lights and 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 pick you know have the vultures picking at the carcass of the body or mm. anything like that although we might talk about jam and impi at some point but before we potentially do that prinzy anyone else from today you want to talk about underperforming but important to the list going forward.
2: Yeah, and there's probably going to be a few people that disagree with me, but uh, but Jacob Kaczynski is still, for me, uh, underperformed today and this year, uh, but he's still important to the future of this Hawthorne list. Um, I know there's a lot of conjecture as to whether he is a good enough and be a good enough fit next to Mitch Lewis, but uh, I am strongly of the belief that as a 22-year-old key forward who has only recently been converted to a key forward from a key defender, um, he definitely has time on his side. And if you look at, I guess, the games metrics, um, he's tracking at at the same level as Jared Ruffhead was early in his career. Now I'm not going to sit here and be stupid enough to say that he's going to have a Jared Ruffhead like career but I strongly believe he could be a really good number two if given the opportunity and the consistency and doesn't become a whipping boy for our fair fans um, because yes he has some flaws I think he'd want to work on his uh, his marking he, he drops a few too many marks for my liking um, but he's an incredibly hard worker, he uh, competes so well in marking contests. So you can see that def- that inner defender in him when he feels like he's outpointed in a contest or outbodied in a contest, where he'll he'll convert and turn around and say, "All right, I'm not going to win this one, but I'm not going to lose it." And he very rarely loses a uh, marking contest. Um, but yeah, he just needs to find more of the footy, and I think he does that by A, playing with Mitch Lewis, and B, by getting consistently consistency and continuity in his role.
0: Yeah, and Daz, I think, I mean, over the last week, I, at a couple of points, there, there's a comparison with him to, uh, dare I say, Tim O'Brien in terms of effects on games of footy, and Uh, I think we're pretty quick to forget how frustrating Tim O'Brien was when the ball would go forward and all you wanted, all you wanted was a contest so that at the very least the ball would come down to ground and Timmy never, you know, well, rarely gave us that consistently. And for me, if there's one positive, that you can't question in terms of Cozzy's game is that he always attacks the marking contest and rarely um, gets beaten uncontested in terms of a defensive mark.
1: Yeah, and you'll get up, if he drops the mark, and give you a, a 1% of that will lead to Jack Gunson's goal like the other week. So we gave Tim O'Brien 10 years to prove his worth and Cozzy is into year two now. So... Eight more to go, and I think he'll he'll be a pretty good player in eight years. Hopefully for the
0: Hawks. And without wanting to, you know, to def- divide us from the Timo Brolin fans, uh, still an element of outcry about how he was going to be the missing piece of the Bulldogs premiership, and it's such a big mistake to let him go. And uh, he obviously hasn't hasn't done too much for them this season. Um the last group of players we've got to talk about tonight are the who shouldn't be on our list in 2023 players now if we're going to focus on the tigers game maybe we can um maybe we can scale that back a bit to say who shouldn't be starting in the seniors for 2023 and that can that can turn into an extension of who shouldn't be there so um, obviously we've got Big Boy retiring and whilst he probably should be on the list, we know for sure he won't be there. The Jungle Drums are beating with Liam Shields who had not much to offer today. He kicked that goal, which was nice in terms of him being able to go out from a Hawthorne point of view uh, with a bang in terms of kicking a goal at the G. Jungle Drums are beating for him to potentially join Clarko at North. Quinzy, who's who's the next player from today? I've got a host of players we can talk about. Who's the next player you think that we should be discussing that fits in that shouldn't be there or really um shouldn't be winning an easy game in in the ones?
2: There's a few. Um I think we'll start with and look, probably an easy target, but we'll start with uh Jarman Impy and his hundred and fiftieth and um yeah, he just looks a shadow of his former self, Jars. and uh, there might be reasons for that. I don't know, but um, he just looks like he just looks like he he's not going to be part of the future. Um, I can't see him in our starting twenty-two come round one next year, especially if the if everybody else is fit and you know we draft another couple of sort of mid forward hybrid players um you get development out of sam butler and maybe fitness and some development out of tyler brockman um yeah i just can't see where a spot is for jarman in our team and it's a real shame because i really 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 like jars and i think he's been good Uh, but every time he really got going he got injured and he hasn't really been able to get going this year so um yeah, he's he was on uh, he was on Dan Rioli for the vast majority of today, and I've already talked about how good Dan Rioli was. So um, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit of a shame. But uh, well, I think can he I was ask,
0: potentially the defence to that question about wh- where he sits on the list might be that he's twenty seven. So in terms of players in the 27 to 32 age bracket, experience, leadership, that side of things still potentially has a lot to offer. And I guess if if the goal is to win a premiership in three, four, five years' time, players 20 through 28 are going to be just as important to winning a flag as players 1 through 20. So potentially, regardless of his immediate form, this season, the role is there, whether that's through Box Hill or being able to get his game back to where it was pre-his injuries once we've got another pre-season under his belt and our full list back to say that there, there's clearly a spot in the, in the broader scheme of things.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I'm not – and by no means am I saying he's done, like, sack him off the list. I think the reality is, you know, there's going to be guys moved off the list that are probably sitting in that space you talked about. We see at the moment, uh, the Dan Howes and the Tom Phillips, they might not be around next year. I think maybe Impey becomes that type of a player for us. They can come in and do a job. um, But, you know, I think over the course of the next couple of years, we're probably looking at phasing Jarman Impey out of the first 22 and maybe having him sort of 24 to 26, 28 sort of in our depth chart.
0: Okay. Well, speaking of phasing players out and players who shouldn't be on our list, um, Daz, I want to just talk about Jager O'Meara. Uh, no, no, slightly tongue in cheek. Everyone knows where I sit with um, let's Do you know what? Let's talk about Jager and Titch as a combination. Um because obviously they should be on our list. They don't have any draft capital anymore that they've had in the last couple of years. Again, I just mentioned the age, leadership, experience side of things. So Jager and Tom are somewhat of an important part of this group moving forward. Where do you see the two of them, I guess, fitting in over the next
1: I see Jager fitting in, but I, I don't know. Tommy Chill for me is just to a- square pegging around the hole at the moment. I don't understand what his role is in the team. He gets high possession games and it's this
0: is today was one of the worst 31 disposal game I've ever seen. Uh, he's he a, did start he did start on the bench again for the first seven or eight minutes of the first quarter too. Yeah and I
1: think Sam Mitchell's sending him a message uh, because he He's a brownlow medalist, and I don't want to be disrespectful because he's a great bloke and he's he's done a lot of great things for this footy club. But in terms of the mod, the modern midfielder, and the way that we want to play footy, I, he just does not fit into the side for me. And I'd rather, you know, like it, it's not like we're there's midfielders at, at boxy or banging down the door, but I just think we try and accommodate him in 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 certain positions that. He's not looking particularly great on the half forward line either, or just running around sometimes on the on the wing. I just I just don't know where he fits in this team. And a performance like today's, I've seen that so many times. It's here from Titch. and I think his high possession games kind of mask really what what are very very blunt performances at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, it's I if I can just piggyback on the back of that. I agree with everything Daz said. I think regardless of – to say something pretty full, pretty controversial maybe, uh, regardless of what we can get for Tom Mitchell, if anything, I think we need to look to move Mitchell on in the offseason because I actually think he may be having a detrimental effect to Sam Mitchell's game plan. If you have a look at – and we'll probably talk about Omira in a minute, but if you have a look at Omira, he's managed to work out ways – outside of playing as a pure on-ball midfielder to be involved and stay involved in football matches. He's adapted his game and he's a bit more flexible in the way you can play him. There's no flexibility in how you can play Tom Mitchell. He either plays in the guts and gets his ball the way he gets his ball or he doesn't play. And at the moment, he's way too good to not play in the team. But like Daz said, if you play him in the team, you have to change everybody else to fit around Tom Mitchell, and I think there's going to come a tipping point at some stage where the the cons of playing Tom Mitchell outweigh the pros of playing Tom Mitchell in this developing Hawthorne side. And I think if we have a look at what next year looks like, if Connor McDonald has a full preseason, if Josh Ward has a full preseason, if Finn has another preseason and and develops, if we add a couple more young midfield draftees if we get some development and potentially a, a positional shift for Will Day um, or somebody like that, there'll be a time where Tom Mitchell becomes obsolete to this midfield unit. And I think that that is closer than it is further away. So, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit worried about what that looks like and how we do that because, you know, the other elephant in the room is, if he's fit, what do we do with uh, James Warple next year? you know, um, because definitely Warple, the way he plays and Mitchell, the way he plays, we know that they don't work together. And I think if I had to have one, I think I'd rather have James Warple in the side than Tom Mitchell because Mitchell going forward tends to kill more attacks than he does help be involved in more attacks. And I think if you have a look at – you compare the pair with Dylan Moore – and the way that he gets himself involved in attacking chains and Tom Mitchell and how he gets himself involved in attacking chains, they're just like polar opposites. And I think we need more of the Dylan Moore types than we do of the Tom Mitchell types.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I want to put this on the record, but I guess, you know, just talking out loud effectively, I'm doing that right. Um, I, I feel like in the last few weeks, um, especially on the back of the Grundy news with Collingwood trying to move Grundy on, how controversial it was that they moved Stevenson on, how controversial it was that they moved Phillips on and what an absolute genius plan it was to get rid of them without being drawn into, uh, I mean, the reasons why they had to, but the emotional side to potentially keeping them as footballers that we've missed the opportunity in the last couple of years to cash in as part of the development side of things. And now we're in a tricky spot because um, can you just get rid of them for nothing? Technically you can, but that's a lot harder to do than the year or two earlier, removing emotion out of it and actually getting something decent for a player like Tom Mitchell. Um, And, yeah, Walpole's the, the exact example that I've been thinking of, albeit, you know, the injuries this year and some of the really poor form that he showed in the ones this year. My um, you know, my What I've openly discussed as being happy with from a direction point of view all season is not about wins and losses, is about 20 games into this bloke and 20 games into this bloke and 20 games into these guys together. So that regardless of how poorly he's playing, would 20 games for Wapple now this season, again, notwithstanding the injury side of things being better than 20 Tom Mitchell games. And the question still remains for next season. If Wapple's fully fit, what do you get out of Tom Mitchell and Jager O'Meara, uh, that um you're not necessarily going to get in terms of that games experience going into the next group of guys so it's a very tricky one similarly um and we've talked about the lack of lack of forwards especially with jacket going back you mentioned it earlier Daz. this has been something we've talked about over the last few weeks a fair amount and every second week we're talking about them as being the geniuses that they are and then the next week we're talking about the minimal impact they have on a game of footy. Uh, similar question to John and Titch. Talk me through where Brewsty and Jack Gunston sit moving forward.
1: Well, I think...
0: Can Gunston you carry both of them in the same team next year and potentially the year after?
1: I think Gunston would probably get a bit of, Valley for, um that's not going to be much, but I think there are suitors for Gunston. Um, Bruce is, yeah, I, I think Bruce stays in our list for sure next year. I think, how many goals has he
0: kicked? Just, yeah, just he's kicked over 40 goals this year. I mean, yeah, he,
1: he, he has cameos in games, but he generally will do a few positive things like that. Incredible kind of front, you know, front and center at pace today and kicking, kicking that goal. Gunston is just so inconsistent. Um, and I know he's had a shocking year off the field, you know, injuries. I, I, I think Ash is of the opinion that Gunston stays on the list and helps our forward line develop. But, um, yeah, I, I think Gunston moves on and maybe that gives an opportunity to Jai on next year.
0: All right, so Prinzy, as someone who's um, always talked, I, I'm pretty sure you've been very pro-Jack Gunston and what he gives our forward line, but you're even more pro-draft collateral. Someone comes at us and says we'll give you a second rounder, mid-second rounder for Jack Gunston you taking it?
2: Well, we can't because he's a unrestricted free agent. So if he chooses to go somewhere, it's whatever we get as a compo pick. So I was Which actually going
0: to be much. It's not it? going it to be might much. Be a no. Third or fourth round. Yeah.
2: So it doesn't. It actually makes no sense to let him go anymore. So if Jack wants to go, Jack can go. No problem. That's fine. But uh, if I'm the Hawks, I'm actually signing up. I was actually a really big proponent of trying to trade Jack Gunston two years ago. Um, I he still had a lot of value and i thought that's the time to move him on and and get a good return. we could have got a first round draft pick for him. i think the pies really wanted him um, and uh, we could have got a, a really good a really good pick for him but um that's that's that window's closed and i think now it he is more beneficial um, for us being on our list. But I think, I think if you look at today, we have to realise, and, and in, in, in various weeks throughout this year, today he had to play as our number one key forward. If Jack Gunston has to play as your number one key forward at his age now, that's a recipe for disaster. So we need to we need Mitch Lewis to be fit, first and foremost. Um, then we need Cozzy to be performing. And then we want Jack Gunston to be the third key tool. If he can do that, I think there's a role for him. Or the second key tool behind Mitch Lewis, there's a role, there's a good role for him at AFL level for next year. Uh, and then being able to teach the Jai Sarongs, the Max Ramsdens, the Cozzies and the Lewises about some of the tricks that he's learned that's made him one of the most crafty, medium-tall forwards of his generation. I think that that's invaluable. Um, likewise with Bruce, I think... I mean, he's he's had his, I think they said it on the um, commentary today, he's had his best goal return since 2018 this year. So uh, he's had a really good season. And um, and I, he's probably got a year, maybe two um, left. Um, but it's really important that he starts to really invest in those young small forwards that we have coming through to, to pass on some of the tips and tricks that has made him an all-time great of our football club. So um, neither of those guys have value on the market. Well, I mean, Bruce, we, we almost traded Bruce in the off-season, didn't we, to the Giants. Um, I don't think anybody's going to come, come hard for, for Bruce and Gunston. And, and to be honest, I think that they're pretty happy where they are and they'll finish their careers as, uh, as Hawthorne players. So.
0: And that is a sliding doors moment. I mean, all we were looking to trade him for was our second pick further up the draft. And if we had done that, potentially not had Connor McDonald, might have taken someone else with that pick and, you know, without looking through the boards. And I think it was like for pick 17 or something from 26 to 17. And, you know, we're, we're it was
2: the, uh, yeah, it was the lecker pick, whatever that was. I think 14 is what it was, but yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Pretty happy with McDonald and Bruce. So just to yeah, add likewise. to what you mentioned, Daz, his two goals today took him to 40 for the year. Gunston's kicked two today, so despite having not the same sort of impact as he's had when he's kicked his couple of bags of five over the last few weeks, if they're kicking 40 goals each a year and they are our third and fourth or fourth and fifth forwards where you've got a Mitch Lewis kicking 60 and adding a Cosby kicking 30 or 40, then as a unit, uh, there's some scoring power collectively, which we've missed over the years. Um oh, I think we could keep going, but that probably is a good point in terms of the who shouldn't be on our list. What about one more question without notice? From from a coaching point of view, and there's been some names tossed around about, you know, some some old Hawthorne players who might become available in the coaching ranks moving into 2023. Um, how important do you think it's going to be, Prinzi, in the off-season, attracting uh, a couple more key members of the coaching department? Clearly, they're all pretty settled and and well and truly on a journey together.
2: Yeah, look, I think potentially, I just wonder what roles these, you know, prospective new new coaches or off-field staff members would be able to come in and fill. Obviously, we've brought in... uh, Peter Burge or bringing in Peter Burge from the Tigers. Um, and hopefully he learned a little bit about what he needs to do based on today's performance. Um, but uh, I think, you know, he's going to come in and he'll make a big difference because, um, you know, I think we, we've, we've lacked a little bit since Andrew Russell moved onto the blues and, um, and no disrespect to anybody that's sitting in the, those positions since Russell moved on. But I, um, I I think we we definitely should be looking to add if we can an extra off field uh, coach in terms of maybe player development or specialist coaching or something like that. Um, but I'm pretty happy with our coaching setup as it is at the moment. I think the reality is this list is where it is, and to get the eight wins we've got this year, I think is a is a really good effort considering what we did last year, the base we were coming from, Mitchell's first year as a coach, um, all of those factors. And and our list is just not that great. So the, the key is just keeping the perspective and not having expectations that far outweigh the reality of our situation at the moment and just enjoying the ride for what it is and watching these youngsters develop. And hopefully we unearth a couple more John Newcombs, Connor McDonald's and Josh Ward's and then, you know, in, in two years' time, we'll be looking back at this and going, oh, this is where those guys were born and made and and forged. So, um, you know, the, the, these moments can be tough. And these games after these, you know, games like today, um, they're hard to swallow sometimes. But, you know, we've also got to keep in mind we had a third of our list out injured and unavailable to select today. So, um, you know, somebody like Ned Reeves, Mitch Lewis, uh, CJ, uh, uh, Lucky Bramble, guys like that are going to make a difference. Um, they're just not there today. So, uh, yeah, it's it's all a, it's all a matter of perspective, I think.
0: And Daz, uh, just one final one to finish off. As Prinzy said, it's pretty important not to oversell the expectation too early on the journey. Otherwise, I guess you just kind of end up being the bombers.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, none of us had us winning eight games this year, so like I, I think I was the most optimistic with maybe six. So the fact that we have finished, uh, you know, prob- probably going to finish above the Bombers, you know, they're not in a rebuild phase and there's a lot of clubs around us that are not in rebuild phases. So we've just got to really look look and have a bit of perspective on this year and go it was actually pretty enjoyable in parts. We played some some really great footy, had some great wins um, and today it just felt like the players were thinking about pre-season holidays and they were up up against, uh, sorry, uh, post-season holidays and they were up against a team that had a lot to play for and are gearing up for a big September. So just an absolute recipe for disaster and I didn't really have any hope or expectation going into the game today. It just seemed like a fate complete before it even happened. Which is the yeah. definition of a fairly complete. I just
0: realised. <laughs> uh, look, I think that is the perfect way, uh, the perfect summation, the perfect way to end this pod. Daz Prinzi, thanks so much for your time. I think it's already this pod is already out there being referred to as the most positive pod that ever there was after a sixty-one point loss. So. We've managed to, to turn, a, how on earth are we going to sit for an hour talking about how some of our poorer players played into something pretty positive. And hopefully all of you guys out there in Hawks Insiders land enjoy the listen on your commute in to work. Don't forget, we'll be back on the airwaves via spaces on Thursday night. Uh potentially the penultimate Thursday night of the season. We will come at you throughout the week with um, what some of our off-season uh what some of our off-season movements look like. Um, keep an eye out for our review and other articles throughout the week. Join us in our space or listening to the Spaces pod this Thursday night. Thanks again, everyone out there. Hope you have a wonderful week. See you soon.